Before we jump into this episode, let's hear from our friend Nolan and every podcast I love is dead. Do you love music? Music news and guest interviews with artists from all around the world across many different genres? My name's Nolan and I love music. In fact, I love music so much I created a podcast entirely dedicated to it called Every Podcast I Love is Dead. Every week is a brand new episode where I interview musicians, artists, podcasters, radio hosts, and so much more. New episodes are available every Thursday on all your favorite podcast streaming platforms, and you can check us out on social media and at everypodcastiloveisdead.com. Hope you can join me. I am Matthew Thomas. This is Super Cool Radio. I have a great guest joining me for this episode. Before I introduce him, a little bit of history. He was part of this band that was originally formed in 1973. They performed with the likes of Iggy Pop, Van Halen, The Ramones, Quiet Riot, and so many more. Plus, they originally recorded King of the Nighttime World in 2018. They regrouped and signed with Golden Robot Records. Please welcome Terry Ray of the Hollywood Stars. <laughs> thank you, Matthew. Good to be here. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> of course. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Uh, when you uh, emailed me and contacted me, I was very surprised. I never really heard uh, anything about the Hollywood Stars and their history. So I very much look forward to uh, chatting with you. Yeah. It's not unusual. We've sort of been in the background of, of a lot of stuff over this many years and and it goes back so much, a lot of people that were around in the day are not there anymore. And uh, they're always surprised when we tell them, you know, our history. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I had to look it up because I was like, because I always thought, you know, uh, some of the songs were, uh, you know, performed by the original bands. But uh, it always surprised me when stuff doesn't uh, actually work out or line up like that. <laughs> yeah, we've had issues about that. You know, people are, you know, going on the podcast and saying, uh, what version was better? You know, your version or... The Kiss version, of course, there's a million Kiss fans, and they love their version, and I love their version too. So it's just, it's just another aside that you know that we had some part of it, and uh, you know that was all getting back to Kim Fowley and and those early days, you know, when when he was hanging out in Hollywood and putting us together, like he did the uh, Runaways, you know, later on. Initially, it started back in the uh, '60s when I met. Kim at uh, the Hullabaloo Club. He used to play the Hullabaloo, which was a, a giant venue in Hollywood. And I had a band called the Palace Guard back then. 
And he, he used to hang out, hang out with uh, Rodney, and uh, Rodney was the mayor of Sunset Strip. And um, later on, I got to know him, and he uh, he helped me get into the Flame and Groovies, which was a band I was really into doing uh, some recording with. And we ended up doing some recording with those guys. Love those guys, and he helped me get that whole thing together with them. And then uh, th you know we did the uh, Shake Some Action, and, and since I heard your name at Capitol, which was great being at Capitol since we're such Beatle freaks. But, uh, you know, and uh, then, you know, he said that, you know, I, I love the guys too, but, you know, we're putting a band together called the Hollywood Stars and maybe you'd be interested in, you know, talking to me about that as well. You know, now that he got me in the groovies, he's, he's hyping me to do some other gig, you know, so I'm kind of shocked at that uh, possibility. Uh, but I didn't want to move up to San Francisco. I didn't have the money and it was going to be a big hassle. So, I, uh, you know, even though I love those guys, I had to say, see you later. I got to try this as a thing. And uh, so then he started uh, putting together the band. He already had Scott Fairs, uh, Gary Van Dyke on bass. Scott, he knew from uh, Rodney's Club. And I think Scott was a great lead singer and he had got arrested for being obnoxious on stage a couple of times. So that made him a perfect guy to do uh, some business with. And uh, I had uh, been playing with Ruben DeFuentes back in those days uh, with a band called Living Flame. And uh, so I said, yeah, let's try Ruben, you know, if we're going to do this thing. Ruben's a great guitar player. So we had bass, drums, and then uh, Mark Anthony came on, which was the uh, a guy that was uh, writing a lot of material with Kim at the time. And uh, so we got together and started writing these songs and knocking it out, and he, and he uh, sort of would stand in the background and say, you know, play a little bit more like uh, Keith Richards over here, or uh, be a little bit like Deep Purple over there, you know, and he would just give his ideas of what he wanted us to sound like in each song that we did. And, uh, but it was great having him around, you know, just great to, as an inspiration. And he got us uh, a gig at SIR, which was Studio Instrument Rentals at the time. So we would, we would play there at Studio Instrument Rentals and invite people to come off the strip back in those days there was a huge music scene and people would just walk up and down the strip believe it or not and uh they would come and they would have posters on the on the, the telephone poles you know and they'd see hey the hollywood stars playing at sir and they'd come see us no internet so it was just uh word of mouth and the the labels came the pr people came and uh we eventually got signed from that that's a long story just to get to that point <laughs> yeah it was uh, i I did read something uh, interesting, and I want to get your take on it. Uh, was the Hollywood Stars a West Coast answer to the New York Dolls? Only in the respect, we weren't trying to be the New York Dolls. It's just that they, the New York had their band using their city. We wanted to have our band naming our city. And it wasn't like we were trying to be them or, or any kind of answer to them. It was just sort of a similar concept or we were the Hollywood band, because we were all Hollywood guys, you know, uh, from the streets, playing the clubs that we've been playing for years. And, uh, you know, I was the go-to drummer for a lot of years back, starting in the middle 60s, played a lot of different bands, a lot of different projects. Um, so it was natural that I would end up playing this gig. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, I was not trying to be at the New York Dolls or anything like that. 
Okay, yeah, I, I was just wondering about that because I saw that I read that a few different places. That's uh, the same uh, thing they print every <laughs> every article. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got you on that. Yeah, it was just that Kim had the idea of you know naming the band Holly Stars and, and and using that as sort of an idea concept to to push on the streets. Yeah, I, I know. Um, you know, as I said, I was reading up on you. I was very fascinated. So. You guys were really like, um, I, I'm trying to think of a good word, not, uh, not dominated, but like really in the uh, in the LA scene, the Hollywood scene. I know you, you've opened for, as I said, many, uh, either opened or ha even headlined with many uh, bands, like Van Halen, Quiet Riot, the Ramones, all of that. Uh, so how was it like performing with them? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, we even had the, the fortunate time <laughs> we were playing with, uh, bands that were you know signed and had records and we didn't even have a record uh, out at the time and yet they were opening for us because uh, we had great management we had uh, signed with uh, pacific presentations which was a concert promotion group uh that you know that booked all the big stadiums the santa monica civic you know long beach auditorium and they would uh, say hey well, do us a favor here and we'll do you a favor there kind of thing and so we would open, uh, they would open, uh, they would have uh, the tubes open for us, you know, with tubes have been around for a while already. Uh, we even had Journey open for us, you know, which was, what the heck is that, you know? It was the original Journey without uh, Perry, but still, it was Journey and had a lot of major players in that band. Uh, so yeah, we had a lot of great gigs, especially loved uh, playing with the Ramones and stuff like that, because I loved the Ramones back then. And uh, those guys were such nutcases, you know, it was great to, to see them out there. And, and people at the time were not accepting them when they first came out. You know, they said, oh, this has got to be a hype, you know, this is not real. And then they became classic, you know, before I knew it, they were like the only punk band that was really doing anything. Um, but yeah, I love those guys. <laughs> and they would, uh, they would come back and say hello, you know, just be themselves. I had been living next to, um, uh, the guys in the Stooges around that time. So I knew uh, Iggy, Iggy would come by and everybody that was in the Hollywood scene would come by and see the Ramones and you get to see those guys too. So it was always fun to see them. I had some pictures taken of me with the San Diego chicken, which was a, a great shot, you know. <laughs> you never knew who was gonna show up backstage. <laughs> so the, the San Diego chicken showed up? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we played San Diego and uh, the college there and uh, there's this giant chicken. He was kind of controversial at the time because he he would get in fights with people. He was pretty a uh, pretty wacky um, a guy for uh, <laughs> to be your main sort of uh, image for the for the groups that were out there. But uh, yeah, for a sports band, it was just go kind of, what the heck. Anyway, yeah, it was great. Those were some great times. And we uh, you know once uh, we had uh, we had the fortune to get uh, in the studio. Uh, we had different people coming by seeing us there too. We we did um, Roses and Rainbows, uh, you know, so we, we had some of the guys from Three Dog Night show up, see what we were doing with their song, you know, and uh, so it was, so that first uh, first album was uh, meant to be, uh, you know, all the songs that uh, Kim and Mark and um, some of the Mars Bonfire stuff, I don't know if you know Mars Bonfire. No, I'm not, not very. He wrote, um, some of the stuff for Steppenwolf, some of their hits, okay. Born to Be Wild, some of that stuff. Okay. So yeah, Kim knew uh, Mars from that. So Mars wrote a couple of songs for us, so we did we did those. 
Supermen are always gentlemen. Was one of those <laughs> okay. tough guys, never show emotion. Yeah. Um, one of those. So he always had these weird concepts, like you know, like he always did. So we did those songs, and we, everything was going great. We were at the record plant, and uh, you know, uh, yeah, we had uh, Stevie Wonder was there. The James Gang were there. Um, you know, uh, just everybody. Uh, Jimmy Keltner's fan club was there. Uh, Jimmy Kilner would have John Lennon and all these other heavy-duty cats come in and they would just record. They just leave the recorder on and just jam, you know. And so he had the fan, what they call the fan club that was recording all the time there, it seemed like. And, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Page and B.B. Buell would show up and go on the jacuzzi and, you know, it was, <laughs> it was a wild scene. <laughs> Wait, there, there's a jacuzzi there? Yeah, yeah. The, oh. the record plant was a, a, some like a social place to be, you know, to hang out while you weren't recording. And uh, yeah, you never knew what was going to happen. It was, uh, it was pretty nutty there too. <laughs> so get, get, get out there and clean that jacuzzi, okay, please? Because you never know what's going to happen out there. <laughs> so, so yeah, we, uh, we had fun there. But then the next thing, you know, it was like, we thought everything was great and we were under budget and the, the songs were coming along pretty well. They, uh, they didn't want to have Kim Fowley in the studio for some odd reason, even though Kim got us the deal. They didn't want Kim in the studio. I didn't know it at the time. Uh, that's why we didn't see him during that period. Uh, we had um, Bill Simzix and Alan Blazik, who had done Joe Walsh and, and the James Gang and, and a bunch of different bands, so a big deal producer. And his uh, engineer, Alan Blazik, was working with us. So... We were doing the basic tracks with Alan, and and then Bill comes in at the last minute and does all his magic and makes the song unbelievable after that, right? But we never got a chance to make it unbelievable, but we did get the basic tracks in with Alan, which and he's a great uh, engineer. So we got the basic tracks, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, uh, yeah, the whole thing just fell apart. So <laughs> what do you mean, you know? So, yeah, you guys, um, we're having a problem. Columbia is going through some major changes. And uh, so everybody on the West Coast has been fired. All the West Coast bands that just got signed are losing their contracts and everything's being dropped. So uh, <laughs> we just picked the wrong label. You know, of all labels to pick, we had all these labels trying to get us to sign with them and we picked Columbia. And then within a few months, they were making major changes with the company. They had the big payola scandal back then, I don't remember. And people were getting money for this and that, and uh, everything was different. Everything changed all of a sudden, and so we we didn't have any management. We didn't have any. Um, everybody just sort of turned and ran with the, all the lawsuits that were flying left and right back then. So, Ruben and I were uh, playing with Blue Cheer for a while, and uh, he played he played a gig with Steppenwolf. Uh, so we were just took about a year off playing with other bands recording with those guys. And um, and then Mark came to us and said, listen, we're gonna, we're gonna try to put the band back together. Because during that year when we were just playing with our bands, uh, uh, Kim had this, of course, this great demo of all our songs and he was out shopping it around saying, you know, you know, here, here's, a, here's a song for uh, Bachman Turner, maybe you don't wanna do it. He ended up stealing the riff of Escape and we had to sue him to get that money. but. So they did moving down the line of one of those songs that they did. And he also got um, 
everybody was interested. Uh, King of the Nighttime World was one of the major ones that Kiss loved to hear. And they took so a lot of the stuff that we had in our original arrangement, they took it and made it in a, into a different sort of thing. And uh, they changed the, the feel of the riff. They changed some of the lyric. Alice did the same thing on Escape. He changed some of the lyrics and then it became his version versus our version. And uh, so with that, they both came out they had, on the Welcome to My Nightmare album and, and Destroyer album. So all of a sudden we had a little bit of clout in the record business again because major groups were doing our songs. It wasn't like they're taking a giant chance with us or something. So um, next thing you know, we were talking to people at Arista, you know, we were playing the Starwood a lot. They came out and saw us at the uh, Starwood. And we got signed with uh, Eris and Clive Davis signed us personally and made a big deal about it and everything. And uh, so, but the way he sees this, and the, again, he got some other producer. During that time, we did a demo tape uh, with Neil Merriweather uh, from the Space Rangers. So the, the uh, and that eventually became the Sound City album. Uh, but that was our demo tape and they didn't want to use Neil. And they didn't want to use our tapes. They wanted to start all over again. They had their guy, uh, which was uh, Harry Maslin, who had just finished doing uh, David Bowie. So we thought, wow, oh, this guy's great. Love the bass and drum sound of Bowie stuff, right? Well, it wasn't so great. And you know, uh, we, <laughs> we started playing and uh, Mark wanted to sort of rearrange the things, which Harry didn't really like the idea of standing around while he figures out the riff by playing it over and over again, to the new riff, whatever it's gonna be, you know? So there became sort of a, a tense, tense sort of feeling in the studio and it didn't go well. He, he had this idea of bringing in orchestration on all the songs. So, you know, we'd come to the studio and there'd be a whole orchestra there. <laughs> What's all this about, you know? Or we'd have, uh, you know, Nicky Hopkins playing piano, you know, the guy from the Stones, he would, you know, a great piano player, but you know, we weren't expecting, we don't have a piano player. So, well, it wasn't our sound, you know? And between the uh, the cellos and the violins and the piano, it, it became a very lightweight uh, album, which was our first album. Oh, yeah, the bottom nice. Yeah, so that one came out. That was it had a nice, sophisticated sound, but it wasn't us, and we weren't really happy with it. Um, yeah, for you guys, it seems like the Hollywood stars are like like straightforward rock and roll. Like that's what what I think of when I listen to the Hollywood stars. Yeah, yeah, it was a rock and roll. We had a lot of different influences. All of us, you know, were, were Beatle fans, but we'd had many different influences over the years. So we tried to bring that to all of it. And then we had the difference uh, of these different writers that were throwing stuff at us uh, on the lyrical side to come up with stuff that um, made it interesting. So we had a lot of challenges, which was great. And uh, But then every time you have a producer that's really not into the band or doesn't really know you that well, it can change the whole thing. So uh, that's one thing we learned, uh, stay to your guns, you know, if you have a producer, if you have a sound, stick with it. Don't give him up for the guy that they want to use. <laughs> stick with your, uh, your initial, initial plan is usually the best. <laughs> yeah, because more it's more true to you. It's like what, you know, it's the music you guys want to make, not like someone, you know, it's not the idea that someone else has for you guys. It's like, this is what we want to do. Yeah. Exactly, but these guys have their own feeling, you know, especially with record uh, execs. They see you as one thing, and, you know, we were always trying to be rockers and trying to be a little bit heavier, a little bit raunchy or whatever, and they wanted something like bread or something, something really smooth and uh, watered down, you know. 
And, and we weren't flying that kind of a sophisticated track that we could throw violins on it and stuff. You know, it's like, would you put violins on a Ramones track? No. I mean, it's just, interesting, though. <laughs> yeah, it might be a good idea. idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I mean, so, you know, they have their ideas, but it kind of messed us up. We, uh, we went on the road with the, uh, with the uh, Kinks, um, and that was neat. We did the West Coast side and uh, loved doing that with those guys because, you know, if there was a band that, that we could play with, it would definitely be the Kinks with their kind of sophisticated uh, songs that they had and, uh, and the raunchy stuff that they had. That's one band that got to do it all, you know, because they had so many different things that they did. So I love doing that side. But then we came back and uh, uh, that was the end of that. I mean, we sort of folded after that. And so uh, that was, I believe, 1978 was like the last kind of. Uh, yes. Yeah, that was the last. And, and then we were trying to uh, think about what we could do when we came back together in 2015. We, we uh, made a video of King of the Nighttime World that we put on YouTube just for fun, you know. We had the idea of putting the original guys together. Mark, unfortunately, had passed away. So in the meantime, we didn't have a Mark Anthony anymore. Uh, but we had four of us at the time, to uh, four original guys that wanted to do it. So we did We did a, um, a video. And then later on, uh, it was kind of funny. I was listening to um, a podcast. Um, it's called Pure Pop UK, you know, with Rob, Robin Wills. Uh, was the guy that... Yeah, he was in the Barracudas, and he had a lot of uh, attachments to the Groovies and stuff. So I, I listened to him, and and one day when somebody was talking about the, um, the there's a lot of different versions of Shake Some Action, and so they were saying, yeah, I like the demo version. You know that uh, it had Nim in it. You know, Nim was the original drummer, and um, so I type in, uh, no, I think I think that was Terry Ray that played on that track. <laughs> so he goes, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Terry Ray from the Hollywood Stars. Thank you, thank you. And I go, yeah, thank you. No problem, Terry. He goes, oh, is this Terry? <laughs> he goes, uh, I said, yeah. He goes, yeah, that's great. Uh, first thing he asked me is, you guys have any tapes that you never released? And I said, uh, well, yeah, we do. And uh, that started a whole bunch of things uh, happening from that point. Uh, we ended up getting the old tapes that we had, and then uh, we put this together. Shine Like a Radio album. Can you see that? I don't know. It's got a reflection. Anyway, Shine Like a Radio came out. Yep. And uh, that was a exclusive release, only a 1,000 copies. But that's got the whole story. It's a fold-out. You know, it's really kind of a neat thing they put together for us. And that's uh, – what label was that on? Mm, that was on last summer, last summer records. So, but anyway, so uh, we've been playing since then and, and, and trying to keep it together. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's not the same as it used to be, obviously. You know, we've been going through changes and uh, we're trying different bass players. Um, uh, John shares with us now. And John was with the original uh, band that Ruben and I played with back in the day. So that was neat to be playing with John again. And uh, so we're out there, we're, we got signed by uh, Golden Robot, which was really excellent. Mark uh, Alexander, the, the CEO there, great guy. And uh, so, 
you know, uh, we put out uh, some of the stuff that you played. Uh, the bottom was the first one. Uh, we did a live on the Sunset Strip album, which was just sort of a live gig that we did because we didn't have any material really yet to, for him to release. So we had the live, let me show you that one. I'm doing all the promotion. Live on the Sunset Strip album, CD came out. Very nice. And uh, yeah, I got it all right here. <laughs> yeah, <you're good. laughs> it's like a commercial or something, right? So, well, I mean, that's what an interview is, kind of. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so uh, that was sort of a, a different kind of a thing. I mean, the fact that you could play a Hollywood star song on, 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 on your program, because listening to your, the stuff that you play is such heavy sh stuff that uh, you know, the Hollywood stars really didn't play that kind of stuff in the back in the day. But recently we've been moving in that direction and I kind of like it. The, you guys, I, I like to describe you. I think I said this in my show. It's like rock and roll with a bite. Like, it, you know, it is, it has a rock and roll feel to it, but there's an extra edge and extra bite to it. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah. We appreciate that. Yeah, of course, I, I, he's playing that kind of guitar for a while. He really wanted to get a song out there that he could wail. Oh yeah, and I know definitely. Uh, listen to Bono. I, I really enjoyed it. it. It's got a groove to it, like with that guitar riff and everything. It is. It, it's got such a groove to it that I was. I was like, I have to listen to this over and over for a while just to really experience it because it it's good. It's so funny because that song came out of a, a jam that uh, we had recorded. Um, I'd be in this band. I've been in so many bands. Right. This is a band called the Jam. J A M M E back in 68 and Don 80 was in that band. So uh, Don 80 after that band broke up a long time after that, he was living up in Laurel Canyon. And I went up there and started jamming with him and he would record all this stuff. So I was listening to some of the jams that we had done back then because we were looking to come out with new material. And here's the song that had the initial riff from the bottom in it. You know, da, 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 ba, ba, you know, and, and 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 then there was the drum breaks and a lot of cymbal rolls and and the rolls coming back into the verse and all that stuff was there. And we're going, this stuff's too cool. We gotta we gotta see what we can do with this. So you know, I gave it to Scott and, and Scott put some lyrics to it and uh, it had that ba 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 ba. That same riff was in there, and so it gave us sort of a an edge to work with. And uh, you know, it came out really great. I really loved it, and uh, it, it was a different, uh, different for us to be going in that direction. I think we're looking for more of that stuff now. Oh yeah, I, I definitely, I really enjoy it as, as I just said. Uh, but also, I know that for you guys, uh, there's another single in the works uh, entitled "Will the Lights Go On Again." Uh, how is how was it like writing and recording this new material for the Hollywood stars? Hmm. Yeah, well, we've been doing it at uh, um, Kitten Robot Records, a uh, recording studio, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, just laying down the tracks, we were surprised that we were able to go in the studio and do like three basic tracks in uh, in a day, something like that, because we we really had been playing a lot, rehearsing a lot. So you get in there and it just grooves, and you're just going, all right, let's go on to the next one, you know, because we're just trying to get a good solid bass drum track. And we add to that later on. And uh, so, yeah, we were surprised at how well it went. And that rehearsing all paid off right there, you know, because, you know, you don't have a lot of time to spend in studio if, uh, unless you've got a huge budget, you know, which we're paying for uh, ourselves this time around. It's a little bit different than a million dollar contract that everybody else takes care of us. 
this is uh, more homegrown stuff this time around. Yeah, so, uh, but we're enjoying it. The clock when you're recording. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, when, when the lights go on again was another one from uh, from the early days. Uh, it was really uh, initially um, the concept came from the '77 blackout that happened across the country, where they had pictures of the you know the New York skyline with no lights on it. Yeah, and it was really bizarre that our whole electrical system could go down uh, by some mistakes that happened and uh, the grid just went down. So we wrote the song about that initially. Uh, but then uh, during the time that uh, the war started in Ukraine, I was always hearing these guys saying, um, you know, we don't know, but uh, we don't even know when the lights are gonna go back on. They're, you know, when the war first started, they were worried about just the lights and uh, not to mention everybody getting killed. But uh, they were worried about just basic stuff, you know, are we gonna eat, we're gonna have lighting. So they started talking about the lighting again and uh, well, we're gonna have power, we're gonna get power from. And so this whole thing comes full circle because we had already been talking about when the lights going again and all of a sudden it's, it's, it's like a timely thing. Uh, and then you still have to worry about the power here. That's something that people are concerned about. So um, yeah, let's do that one. And uh, we sort of revamped it and uh, updated the lyrics. And um, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about that one too. I hope you like that one. I I was really digging it. I what I really liked was the the guitar solos in there because um, to me they're just the the whole style and the sound to it were very unique. And I was like, I wanna I wanna listen to more of this. It was like I, I you know it's it 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 makes you want to listen to more Hollywood stars like when you listen to the bottom and. Will the lights go on again? Excellent, excellent. That's I want to hear that. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, good. And I really like that. You know, it had meaning when you guys were first working on it, and then now, you know, so you know, so many years later, it still has meaning, but in a different way. And yeah, now, people will take it. You know, for what it is now, I think for the most part, you know, they probably weren't around for the '77 thing. <laughs> Only us dinosaurs were around for that, but uh, <laughs> before my time, yeah. But yeah, and I like the groove that it lays down, you know. And and, and of course, again, we were able to let loose of uh, our uh, Ruben. You know, he's always back there. Let's go, let's go. You know, so uh, he uh, he got a chance to really rip on that one. And I, I, like I said, like you said, I just love love to hear that. Uh, you know, get a little blasted, put on your headphones, and go for it. You know? There you go. <laughs> exactly. And that, that's what I really like about you guys. Is like, it's just some really good rock and roll music. And, you know, nowadays, and, you know, I still like music, you know, with like, you know, they had electronics and all that stuff. But it's like sometimes I just want to listen to, to some really good rock and roll. And that's what uh, that's what I get from uh, the Hollywood stars. Yeah, we hear that a lot. I mean, it's, it's an honest rock and roll band from the 70s that we're playing more or less the same. We're still doing the same concept as, as we did back then, in, in essence, of the way we play. And uh, the way we want to hear it on stage is, is like you're hearing it on the record. And uh, I think people who come to see us kind of are liking that. You know, it's kind of different. It's not high tech. It's not so sophisticated that you don't understand what's going on. You know, it's just raw rock and roll kind of drive. And uh, some people are, are missing that a little bit, I think. And I honestly, I didn't realize I was missing it until uh, kind of recently. I saw uh, Wolfgang Van Halen, his band Mammoth, live, and like oh, yeah. they, they do everything live. Like everything you hear 
they can produce live, you know, without any backing tracks or electronics or anything. It's just them playing music. Yeah. And when I saw them live, I was like, I want to listen to more music like this, like bands that can do it live, but, you know, it matches what they did in the studio. Well, hopefully that'll, uh, you know, get people going in our direction. And once, you know, because people don't know what the Hollywood stars are. They probably think it's a, a glamour band or something. It's, it's not uh, what it used to be, you know. We used to be running up and down the strip with four-inch platform shoes, not so much anymore. You know, we got our Birkenstocks out there or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think that's really anything that made it past the, uh, the 80s, I think, with the platform shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. You go home after you've been out all, uh, all night to run up and down the strip, and you, you go home, and you take your platforms off, and you feel like a midget. You're like, geez, am I really just 5'11"? I thought I was 6'4", you know. <laughs> and the hair, you get a few inches of the hair as well. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the big hair, a lot of big hair bands back then. <laughs> but uh, interesting question for you. So when, um, you know, we were talking about 70, 78, the Hollywood stars kind of, you know, they dissolved. Was it ever really, uh, you know, either in, in your mind or planned to, like, ever get back together? And not initially, because, uh, you know, we were sort of burned out on each other at that point. Uh, so it was like, okay, we, we gave it a shot. Um, if, if, if we have the right opportunities, maybe again, uh, and we saw Mark a few times, uh, <laughs> you know, he'd come up and talk about playing this or playing that, would you want to play with him and stuff, but nobody really had the energy to do it, uh, again, because we spent so many years, uh, doing that and, uh, wanted to take a break, took a break from, from music in general. I took, uh, I ended up working at the Whiskey Go-Go myself because uh, I knew those guys from playing there and you know, when you have a drummer that's uh, out of work you know one minute you're up here and the next minute you're down here you're uh, looking for another four guys to, to jam with and uh, try to get a record deal and start all over again which I don't know how many times you can do that but it's really <laughs> even doing it once is amazing if you do it three or four times you're like okay let's take a break because uh, yeah. there's always some reason that the band breaks up Mark thought he was going to be a solo artist, so you know, there was always some something. Uh, but yeah, uh, the the, <laughs> the whiskey. I ended up working security there at the whiskey, you know, and because uh, I knew uh, Rocky at the door, and uh, so without without any skills, you have to do whatever you can to stay alive. Yeah. I think my apartment in Hollywood was ninety nine dollars a month at the time, $99 a month for an apartment. Wow, that's, uh, so that's I was, I was barely, <laughs> pretty good. I was barely uh, getting by with uh, the money uh, making at the whiskey, but uh, it was enough to keep me alive. So I was looking for other bands and I did join other bands during that period that played the whiskey and played Madame Wong's and um, uh, Club 88. There was a bunch of cool clubs uh, during the 80s that we played, The Mask, uh, it was more of a punk thing, but we were, you know, we're around for that. And uh, so I, I was able to, but being around music, I was able to see uh, some of the best bands in the world come through the whiskey. I mean, you know, seeing the, the police play there live, unbelievable. Oh, yeah. In the 60s, I'd seen the Cream play there live. So, I mean, but to be back, you know, in the 80s or the late 70s and see the police, see um, Oingo Boingo, it was a mystic nicer than Oingo Boingo, and uh, Blondie and, uh, you know, 
all the punk bands that came through. But, you know, and there was all the hair metal bands, too, that were playing. And Van Halen came out of nowhere with their album, which, you know, we had played with Van Halen a couple of times at the Starwood, and uh, they were doing mainly cover songs. So I didn't really even think anything about Van Halen at the time. I knew, you know, I knew Eddie was good, but I didn't think that they were a big deal. But the production <laughs> made all the difference. They had the right producer. And of course they were playing great at the time too. So they had, their album came out and it was like just blowing everybody's mind. It was just so beautiful. And we would play it in the whiskey full volume. <laughs> we get to work there and they were playing, bump, 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 you know, bump, 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 you know, that groove and it was so cool. <laughs> so that, that really inspired a lot of metal bands and that, saw that whole thing happen too. So, you know, it was, um, it was, it was really great to be there. If I wasn't going to be playing, at least I was seeing a lot of major acts come through and see what they were doing live. And uh, so don't regret that at all. Yeah, definitely. I know I, I just talked with a band who, who played the Whiskey at Go-Go. I don't know if you're familiar with Band Inc. Um, they, they played the Whiskey a few times in the last couple mm -hmm. months. And we were just talking about how like legendary venue it is that oh yeah, so many, so many great bands uh, you know, played there from, you know, and it's still a staple, like, it's still a destination venue for it, for, for almost any band who wants to, like, you know, if you, you know, to really perform at a legendary venue, Whiskey Go-Go is that venue. Oh, yeah, and there's not a lot of that stuff left, so, you know, everybody wants to go there and, and, and be that thing that everybody calls classic, you know, be in a classic situation from, from the cream all the way up to now. Uh, I mean, unbelievable bands have been coming through there forever and uh, so there's not a lot no other place you can go that has that history you know, with the doors playing there and uh, you know a lot of big bands playing there that you wouldn't even know about that uh, were always around and uh, playing playing the strip that maybe they didn't uh, make it but they were big bands playing around during the time um, so yeah what a, what a great place to be and uh, after that, I just, you know, started uh, working different gigs. But when they closed down the whiskey, um, I had one on unemployment. And they said, well, what were you doing? I said, well, I don't know. I was doing the door. I was tossing people out that were uh, bringing alcohol in, you know, working the backstage. And they said, well, you were a security guard. I said, okay, whatever you say, I'm a security guard. Sure, yes. <laughs> so then uh, they, they got me a job working security. <laughs> So uh, next thing you know, I was uh, I was at 103rd in Avalon, uh, but you know if you don't know that area, it's it's a kind of rough area, and I had no experience. And I'm standing out there at a Thrifty's parking lot with the, the Crips on this side and the Bloods on this side, and uh, yeah, it was a <laughs> it was a, a pretty uh, wild experience for myself being in music and kind of being away from the realities of the world uh, to see that kind of stuff. And of course. And then I, I got into something. I just sort of stayed into that. I ended up selling security for a while and being involved in security designs, commercial and residential stuff. Until Scott came along and said, let's do this thing. Let's let's put this band back together again for fun. And uh, so that's that's why we're here, you know. We're, we're out of that scene and back into the music. <laughs> that's right. And still rock and rolling. Uh, rock and rolling. <laughs> that's right. Hey. It's all about the rock and roll. That's right, man. Right, baby. <laughs> uh, so uh, for Golden Robot, did you approach them or did they approach you? Um, 
it, it was a little both. I think we were both, uh, we were checking out all the labels at the time. Um, I think what happened was that, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Mark's son, uh, Jagger, I think it was, that uh, had heard of the band. And when they were running uh, some of the names by them of possibilities to sign for the label, um, Jagger sort of said, hey, you know, these guys, you got to sign these guys. Everybody knows these guys. And, are, and he knew our past. So all of a sudden it was like we got this spokesman for us, you know, uh, which was beautiful. And uh, so he checked us out and it uh, went from there. Yeah, so it was a, it's a mutual thing. Most of the labels that we talked to because of COVID were saying, uh-uh, the whole the music scene's over. Forget about it. We're not signing anybody. So we got a, a cold shoulder from a lot of people that were – convinced that everything was over permanently and that they weren't going to be signing anybody ever. <laughs> That's how scared they were uh, because there wasn't going to be anybody playing. There wasn't going to be anybody recording. There was going to be no interviews. There's going to be no radio stations. Everything was stopped. So nobody knew what was going to happen. So it scared a lot of people off. So we appreciate the, uh, the fact that Golden Robot was there and said, yeah, we're ready for this. And they just kept right on rolling like there was no problem. And uh, it really made a big difference for us. And I, I really, uh, you know, checking out Gold Robot, you know, I first uh, heard of them because I don't know if you're familiar with the Wild Street. I, I interviewed them last year and they were they signed with Golden Robot. So I was really checking out the roster and everything, you know, for the last couple months. And, you know, it's very impressive just, you know, who, who the bands they have and um, just like yeah. the, they actually like, care about the bands they have. You know, they, they give the promotion they need. And uh, the music assistance with everything, so you know they are definitely a really great label. Yeah, and they, you know, they've got their sort of thing together. You know, they sort of this, they sort of just plug in the bands into their machine. Once they sign somebody, they just say, okay, this is our band, and it goes out to uh, different uh, promotional people, and it goes out to uh, different stores. We get their, you know, and it automatically gets on all the platforms that you want to to hear it. And uh, so that's what you want. You want something that's already organized for you and can just plug it in and do, you know, they do a little bit of an, an interview with you and they can send that interview out to people that are interested in the band and it may lead to bookings or other things that might come along. So, uh, yeah, it's been great uh, to have all of that already set up ahead of time. Yeah, they got a really great support system, and as yeah. I said, really great bands. You know, signed with them. So yeah, no, they're definitely they're make they're doing a lot of great things for you know Golden Robot is. Yeah, I heard they were getting into martial arts and all kinds of different things. Uh, I know they have a race team. They have a race car team. I do know that. Yeah, well, Mark's so into his fast car, you know. So yeah, that that makes sense. But that they were I forget who they were pushing, but uh, yeah, some of the MMA people they're pushing too. So they have their entertainment segment too that they're that they're uh, pushing that gets people out on instagram and facebook and get people to know who they're talking about who they're pushing you know and as long as they're winning they and you know mma ufc all that stuff it's you know it's very popular right now especially with everything. oh yeah i'm not surprised you know branching out into other profitable uh, areas i think it's a very smart idea yeah definitely yeah i think so too Make them, make them sort of an entertainment uh, sort of conglomerate. And, and everybody knows the name because they've seen them in this venue or that venue. So it helps everybody, I think. Yeah, they, they got a really good name and reputation. I think that, that really helps, obviously. Yeah. 
franchise mm-hmm. other things. So I'm I gotta check that out because I'm a fan of MMA. So I'm gonna see what they're oh, doing. Oh, me too. Yeah, I took Kempo when during that time I was working security. I took you know, Kempo and I uh, met Jeff Speakman. You know, he, uh, great martial artist for uh, Kempo and uh, the perfect weapon. You see the perfect weapon. I know. I, I have you gotta check out check out the perfect weapon, man. You gotta see that. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna add, I'm gonna add that to my list. I definitely will check that out. Okay, yeah, it's got some of the best fights that you'll ever see. I mean, other than Bruce Lee, you know, he is really something else. Oh yeah, definitely. I know. I've, I've definitely. I'm familiar with him. I've heard the name, but uh, yeah, him and uh, like Bruce are like very talented. Just making, you know, I know it's still like a movie. You know, it's supposed to, you know. Yeah, it it doesn't have to be super real, but they make it like as oh, yeah. possible. Yeah, I mean they're so talented and they're so quick that they can make these things. Even though I wouldn't want to be the guy receiving end on some of those things, even though they're supposedly holding back, because you get whacked pretty hard. I mean, I got I got a broken rib uh, sparring with somebody when I was doing uh, Kempo, because you know you, the people are bigger than you are and they're trying different things. And uh, they're trying to say, well, I want to try this method to see if I can sort of hide the fact that I'm going to throw a kick by throwing something in your face, and then I'll throw the kick. So, but they may not hold back on that kick so much because <laughs> there's a lot of speed behind it. The next thing you know, you're getting whacked. So I'm thinking, well, that probably happened more than uh, once filming these movies where it's got these heavy fight scenes, you know. These guys probably get whacked around pretty good. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, well, that's why like i mean i got a lot of respect for like the stunt man the stunt coordinator yeah. like oh, just yeah. everything up that you know no one gets you know obviously no one gets killed and no one gets severely injured you know you know bumps and bruises broken ribs stuff like that does happen but for everyone to at least go home you know in one piece i think that takes a lot to plan <laughs> oh yeah yeah definitely <laughs> I, I know there's a there's a story uh, from bob barker uh the former host of price is right yeah. He was sparring with Chuck Norris and one of his brothers, and oh, wow. uh, Chuck like did did a kick, uh, you know, like to spar with the uh, Bob Barker, and he like he broke a rib on one side, and then his brother was like, "I want to try it," so like he kicked Bob on the other side and broke another <laughs> just rib to make it even, huh? <laughs> yeah, nice and even. <laughs> yeah, you can't do anything about a broken rib. You just gotta lay there and get hope it gets better, and you wrap yourself, and that's it. You're gonna be in pain for a while. <laughs> and even breathing, you know, it's gonna you're gonna struggle to breathe just because it's you know just the, right. in the rib cage. So it's not fun. Did you like that movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes, I did. Uh, actually, yeah. that was one of my favorite movies. Yeah, yeah. Me uh, too. yeah uh, so I, were you a fan? It sounds like it since you were oh, talking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that scene where they were where they had um, Bruce from the Green Hornet, you know, and uh, yep. and supposedly he was a braggart and. Uh, he, and you know, our guy was going to show him what for, you know, you're not so tough. And I don't think you could beat Muhammad Ali, you know, and that started the whole rift between the two of them. Yeah. So now, uh, I heard Quentin Tarantino was trying to defend that scene because a lot of people didn't like that fact that, well, Bruce was better than anybody. Of course, you you know, there could never be a fight, but there actually was a fight that happened on on, on the scene of, uh, of their uh, filming uh, one of those shows. So uh, <laughs> he said, "Yeah, it actually did happen." And it, uh, he he didn't kick his ass, but they they did spar together for a while. And uh, so it, it was from a, a really historical event that went down. So <laughs> yeah, I heard <laughs> that was interesting on a, on a real event. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I really backlash uh, for that scene. But 
I think it was very well done. Uh, but for your perspective, for someone growing up uh, in uh, Hollywood in LA, how, like, how was like the aesthetic and stuff? Do you think it was like accurate to like growing up? Oh yeah, yeah. They got it pretty pretty together. I mean, I, I saw them. They were trying to reproduce. Uh, oh, what was that club called? Uh, there was a couple of different clubs that they did. Um, that they did really good in uh, redoing the uh, the outside of it, make it look like um, like it did back then. Hollywood Boulevard looked just like it did back then, uh, including the old the sergeant, which was a uh, uh, I don't know what it was. <laughs> they sold everything at the sergeant, but then anyway, they um, yeah everything they had back then, the old restaurants. I mean, it was great, great to see that really a flashback to see this. <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I think just the, the whole movie, uh, you know, for being almost three hours long, I know some people get a little antsy, they don't want to watch it, but it is definitely well worth uh, watching it. I thought it was oh. extremely well done. Yeah, and of course that the ending was really crazy and you know, <laughs> you just wanted to go on and on and on. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but I, 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 you're a real friend, I try. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed Brad Brad Pitt's character in it, uh, especially with the, the ending with the huge fight scene. I don't want to give it away for anyone who hasn't uh, watched oh, yeah. it, yet, but it you know it it the whole aesthetic you know it doesn't scream too much Quentin Tarantino until you get to the end, and then you're like, that's <laughs> yeah. Quentin Tarantino, all right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally unexpected. The first time I saw it, I was like, "What? Are you kidding me?" <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny. I was well, I was watching. Uh, I went to the movie theater with my brother to watch it, and he he's like, uh, again, I, I won't give away, but he said he's gonna go get that item, you know, uh, that he had out of his shed. And I'm like, are you sure? I don't <laughs> yeah, right. Know. I don't think you can get that. <laughs> he pulled it out. And I was like, wow. You know, wow, great. he got it. <laughs> no kidding. Oh wow. <laughs> Talk about home projection, you know. <laughs> I didn't see it coming. I was amazed. You know, yeah, yeah, that was pretty heavy. I didn't expect that at all. And it just did not stop. It just kept on going from the beginning to the end. <laughs> oh, and it just how much they covered in that movie, too. Just, you know, you know, we were talking about, you know they had Bruce Lee, uh, the fight with Bruce Lee in there. They had uh, Manson at that time with uh, uh, the studio staying at the movie studio, the old band and movie studio. So, they covered a lot of different aspects of that time period in the movie. Yeah, and, and uh, we were, I was with, uh, playing with uh, John Phillips' band, The Jam. And of course, John Phillips was right in the middle of all that stuff uh, with uh, Terry Melcher, Lou Adler, all the people that were the major players in Hollywood at the time. And, and they were scared shitless because they didn't know what the heck was going to happen, you know, because people were dying left and right. And, uh, everybody was frightened that it was personal, you know, to Hollywood or something. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, they had security people on the property. A lot of those mansions in, in, in Beverly Hills after that, they were really scared. It really changed the scene for sure. I mean, because, it, you know, everybody was like pie in the sky for a while. And then you saw the reality of, hey, that long-haired guy that plays music can also kill you. So yeah. it's like, oh, yeah, oh, okay, well, that's, then it's back to reality a little bit, you know. Yeah, it is definitely, uh, yeah, definitely that reality does sink in. And it's just, it's interesting, like, how uh, connected Manson was in the music community at that time. I know um, he actually uh, 
and I believe this is true again. I I I don't know from firsthand stuff, but uh, but I believe you even wrote a song for the Beach Boys, or you wrote a riff for the Beach Boys, and they actually he did. A song. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, he he was hanging out with uh, uh, Dennis, and uh, I guess he had bringing the girls along with him, and so they would party with all the girls, and uh, uh, he would play all his material for him. But Terry uh, uh, didn't particularly like it, which which was the downfall of those people that happened to be living in his place. But um, <laughs> you don't say no to Manson. That's a good thing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he, uh, I think he felt like he should do something. So yeah, they did, they did one of those songs. I forget which one it was, but uh, I was surprised that they put that in there after all, all the destruction you wrote. But yeah, that it still had, you know, released. And I think, I, I think you, before everything happened, I think he was trying to get uh, song credits for that song too, and I don't know if that actually ever happened or not. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened on that uh, particular song, but uh, I, I know it did get released because they talk about it all the time. I know yeah, it's, pretty, it's infamous, uh, infamous for unfortunately, kind of the wrong. It has that wrong yeah. kind of uh, vibe to it. Unfortunately, you know, wrong kind of uh, uh, tone. You know, whatever you want to call it, just uh, provokes some uh, infamous uh, kind of. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> well, that's why a lot of people do stuff like that, just to sort of attract attention because it's so uh, sort of dark, whatever. Yeah, and you get a little <laughs> controversial with everything as well, you know, obviously it creates cash, so of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but getting, getting back with you as I'm kind of wrapping up this interview, um, what are the plans for the Hollywood stars for the rest of this year, 2022? Well, we have the um, EP coming out, which will be – the two songs that you've already heard and two others that you haven't uh, be a vinyl EP. And uh, so that's coming out probably in uh, what, four months, something like that. We're going back in the studio next month and uh, doing the new tracks for the second EP. So uh, for, for next year. So we're, we're just sort of moving along slowly, seeing how people react to us. And uh, if they like what they like, you know, if they like what we're doing, we'll, we'll keep going. Uh, hopefully uh, people will and if they keep downloading the stuff <laughs> there's no top uh, top 10 like it used to be you know or something like that it's just uh, how many downloads you can get so it's, it's a different scene but we, we try to make it make it happen the best we can they do uh, nowadays all about the Spotify numbers and uh, iTunes downloads and all that stuff. So, but uh, from from what uh, you know, obviously from chatting with you, from you know, listening to the music and from you know, what other people have been saying, I definitely I, I really enjoy what you guys have been doing lately, and uh, I do look forward to listening to some more new music by you guys. Thank you, man. That's nice. Nice to hear. I appreciate it. Of course. But Terry, I had a really great time chatting with you here on Super Cool Radio. Yeah, me too. Thanks for thanks for making this happen. Appreciate it. Of course, I'm glad, glad we were able to sit down and chat because I know we, we had a lot to discuss. And I'm glad we got to around to pretty much everything I, I was kind of wanting to, to talk about. And, and a few other things. <laughs> yeah, movies and MMA, which I'm all about anyway. How did we get into that? <laughs> Before Terry Ray of the Hollywood Stars. All right. Post as always. Thanks, so much, man. Thomas. Thanks everybody. Of, of course, thank you so much. And uh, thank, you, thank you so much for watching and listening to Super Cool Radio. And remember, stay frosty. Mm.